Welcome back to Big Lezzers League and all rugby league experience. Coming at to you at 10 o'clock at night now. Is Big Lezzers bedtime around 9 o'clock? Yes, it is. Was he distracted watching a movie after work that was actually quite good? Don't know the name of the movie, but was he distracted watching the movie, eating his dinner, uh, and took way too long to do that? Yes. Has he wasted so much time on his phone that now it's 10 o'clock at night and he has to record this podcast? 100%. But we're doing it because you know what they say? You know what they say? The urban legends, you know what they say? They say, cometh the moment, cometh the man, and this is what I'm doing. I am uh, recording what is going to be a long, dribbly podcast for a very tired Big Les. But let's get straight into it. The, the Storm and the Broncos, what a game this was. They down the Broncos, 24-16 to 16, the Melbourne Storm at Amy Park. You know, Melbourne, they did have the record on the Brisbane Broncos. I went away from the stats. I loved Brisbane. I loved their form. I loved everything about what Brisbane were doing. You know, Adam Reynolds was playing good footy, good kicking game. Obviously, shocking what happened to him. He could miss this weekend as well, which is massive for the Broncos. You know, if he is ruled out with the concussion protocols, it'll be the second half back in two weeks. That would be ruled out um, from these concussion protocols as well. Marnie's obviously out for the Roosters. We'll get to that in a second. Nothing to do with that. Don't know why I brought that up. But anyway, um, yeah, Adam Reynolds could be out for... You know, next week, maybe even the week after, depending on the severity of this nerve injury. If you didn't say it, you probably did say it, but if you didn't say it, um, he was going to put the ball down for a try, missed it, uh, and then, you know, sort of slid down a bit. But you could sort of tell that, uh, you couldn't really tell, but he was sort of sliding down. People thought at first he hit his head, but it sort of looked like the momentum lifted his the top of his back just up a little bit over his neck a little bit just when he slid, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, and he's crunched a nerve, um, and that's why he was down for so long. He actually couldn't feel uh, his fingers or his arms or most of his body really uh, until he got back into the sheds where he started to get feeling in his fingers again and in his hands, which was great news. And obviously he's doing okay now, but they are going to monitor him for this week and he could miss out anyway due to the concussion protocols. As I said, they immediately deemed it a grade two. Obviously with the new concussion protocols and rules, if the player is down for more than allocated uh, amount of seconds, and if the trainer really has to come on and help them up, then it's automatically, you know, they have to do the 11-day standout. However, uh, they can challenge this at the judiciary like they would a suspension, uh, and he might be able to get off depending on his condition. But, you know, with how long he stayed down, he had to get taken off the field with a stretcher, completely unrelated injury, but, you know, they might take all these things into account and maybe give him the week off anyway. Um so, yeah, you could see Adam Reynolds miss uh, this coming weekend for the Brisbane Broncos. Um, yeah, it, it was pretty. It was a pretty hectic injury. And, you know, Brisbane obviously were impacted heavily um, after this injury. You know, they weren't playing as crisp of football. The kicking game definitely wasn't there. There was a lot of pressure on Ezra Mam. To be honest, I thought that he did quite well. And the fact that the Broncos kept this game so close, which, which was... Uh, it was very impressive for me watching on because obviously I thought, fuck, Renault's gone off. Munster's going to explode. Meany's going to explode. Uh, Hughes is going to explode. They're going to score a few tries. They're going to make this game a bit uncompetitive. But they really held their own. I thought the defense was really solid. 
Payne Haas ran for 215 metres or something ridiculous. Um, yeah, he was fantastic. Really, really good Payne Haas. I thought Reese Walsh was quite good as well. Yes, it's not probably the best performance we've seen from him. And obviously, he's good uh, with Renault or Mam going down either or side. Usually, the left-hand side is more dominant with Ezra Mam. Uh, but we didn't really get to see as much dominance. However, he still ran 173 metres, one try assist and six tackle breaks. Uh, still pretty good there for Reese Walsh for the Broncos as I slam my mouse for no given reason. Um, but yeah, Reese Walsh, he was fantastic. Paddy Carrigan, uh, I thought that he was quite good as well. He seems to be good every single week. And that's the good thing about Paddy Carrigan. Super consistent for the Broncos. Um, I thought that Trent Lorio and Josh King, you know, power F, powerhouse effort from them, sorry, uh, combined for 74 tackles, which was pretty good. Paddy Carrigan, we talked about him before, 225 metres uh, from 26 runs, which is unbelievable. Uh, the big moment for me in that game was Ezra Mam, obviously that try saver uh, on Katoa was fantastic. Such It just shows the effort levels, as, again, through the defence of the Broncos. Uh, the defence was sensational, and Ezra Mam, a key part of that as well with that try saver on Katoa, bumping the ball out. Uh, I think Gus Gould said it best. It was probably the play of the year, to be honest. That was fantastic. Um, obviously, going into this week as well, luckily, Reese Walsh won't be fined, but he is... Uh, sorry, well, he won't be suspended, but he is getting fined... I think three three grand for uh, the shoulder charge. Well, it wasn't really a shoulder charge. He was using uh, more of his arm and just his body weight just to knock over. Um, I think it might have been Coates over the sideline, which was a sensational effort, uh, particularly with how dominant uh, the Melbourne Storm were with the ball. They kept possession quite even. However, you know, I, I thought that they did really, really well um, with the ball in hand, the Melbourne Storm, even though the Brisbane Broncos always had an answer in defense and were quite good in, a, in attack as well. I thought that Ezra Mann played quite well, uh, but the Melbourne Storm, they did play some really good footy. At the end of the day, that's what won them the game. Cameron Munster, five-star performance, try, two line breaks, two tackle breaks, uh, 394 kicking meters, not too bad at all from Cameron Munster. If you want to talk about some stats behind this game as well, Kevy Walters, he's now been involved in 300 games for the Brisbane Broncos. That's 59 as coach. Uh, and it's 241 as a player. The Storm have won 13 consecutive games against the Broncos, who have not won at Amy Park since 2016. And then obviously, you know, one of the key moments of the game as I was cutting myself off from those stats was actually, uh, before I forget, you know, obviously that send-off of Aaron Penne and uh, Thomas Flegler after a little bit of a scuffle in the 78th minute. And I think, you know, Denon Kent was sort of talking about it today, um, you know, on his podcast with Guru and obviously playbook about the role of referees in games uh, today and, um, you know, how it's sort of the refereeing has changed over the years and, um, you know, decisions are much harder to make, uh, the slowing down of decisions, which we've talked about plenty on this podcast, um, you know, just just general stuff of how refereeing over the past few years has changed. Uh, and uh, They were sort of talking about how different referees have different, you know, I would say preferences and how they want games to be played. I don't really think it is, to be honest. I almost think that it's more so the the bunker and, um, you know, the voices in the referees' ear. I don't even think referees really do much. Well, they do do a lot in games, but I think most of the decisions usually come into the ear. I've seen about four or five times this weekend, maybe even more, uh, particularly, um, I think, in the Penrith game 
where the referee was going to go and make a decision and then literally within a millisecond must have heard someone speak and then goes to make the opposite decision. Uh, there was a clear example. I can't remember what the player was, but um, I think it was something to do with a goal line dropout. They were going to, uh, I think it might have been Brisbane, might have been in this game where they were going to make Brisbane take the dropout. Um, and then obviously they changed their mind because they looked back at the video and then they made uh, the, the Brisbane Broncos go and take the tap at the 20-meter line. Or it might have been the Broncos, might have been someone else. But just different things like that. They change their decisions very quickly, uh, depending on what the bunker says. And particularly looking at things in slow-mo, I think that you can't really look at the, look at the game in slow motion because the game isn't played in slow motion. The game's played at fast pace. And when you're looking at different things in, in slow motion, a clear example was obviously uh, the professional foul from... You know, Harry Grant when Herbie Farmer was going to score that penalty try. You don't, you don't do that. You do not look at that in slow motion. Harry Grant has clearly got eyes for the ball. He hasn't got eyes for Herbie Farnworth, and he's going for the ball. He's trying to knock the ball dead so Herbie Farnworth doesn't score a try. In those situations, it's literally happening for the players in a millisecond. It's literally a millisecond of the game where they're, you know, making a split decision like that. They don't have time to sit there and think, fuck, what should I do here? And, and sit down and actually contemplate what they're doing. They've got a second. They've got two seconds to go and, and do something about it. Uh, and, you know, make an action. And for Harry Grant, that was to knock the ball dead. And that was to get in front of Herbie Farnworth and knock the ball dead. It wasn't a, It wasn't really a professional foul. He had clear eyes for the ball. And they've gone back and they've looked at it in slow motion. And slow motion obviously made it look much worse than it was. Slow motion made it look like, obviously, that Harry Grant had pushed Herbie Farnworth when, in fact, he was, had clear eyes for the ball. Uh, and obviously, the Herbie Farnworth got the penalty try. Um, and then even the Herbie Farnworth uh, professional foul as well. Like, there was plenty of decisions where, you know, it could have easily gone the other way. Either way, sorry. Uh, but looking back at things in slow motion, um, you know, it, it really it's really starting to dictate big in big games some of, you know, how the games go at the end of the day as well, which is quite scary. And I think that, you know, as I said, it's great, you know, obviously – when this technology comes in, obviously the game to become popular wants to implement this technology. Uh, and example of that is the bunker and, and slow-mo and uh, HD and VB hardware working index, for example, as well. Plenty of newer technologies come into the game and, um, you know, obviously different codes want to go and try that. It's happening all over the world at the moment um, with different technologies and, and the way that the game is viewed. Um, but, you know, it's almost starting to dictate the game, whereas we're making decisions based of what's happening in slow motion, whereas the players play in milliseconds, in seconds. Um, and it's not like that in the real world. And I think that that's what's starting. Yeah, I just, I just don't like how that specifically is dictating games. I think that it's quite poor there. So I uh, hope you enjoyed that five-minute rant about um you know, the, the, the way the game's changing in terms of the bunker and what the bunker's doing. Do I want to eradicate the bunker? No. But what I actually would like to see from the NRL is that they use the bunker when it's needed rather than the bunkers watching the entire game and they go back two tackles and say, oh, this was this is going on. This happened two tackles, three tackles ago. Let's give this guy, uh, you know, put this guy on report for something that happened two tackles ago that you didn't even see. It also takes credibility away from the referees a little bit because the referee will go and make a decision and then that decision will be immediately overturned. 
by the bunker and it pretty much takes all credibility credibility sorry away from the referee and obviously players in the heat of the moment will go and argue specific decisions that weren't even made by the referee they were made by the bunker so yeah I don't know I feel like the technology that they have got at the moment is being used in the wrong way and it can be used in the right way um, but it is being used currently in the wrong way and I think that's got to change the way that the bunker is used the way um, that you know this slow motion technology is used I think that the bunker should only be implemented um, by you know in accordance to what the ref thinks if if the ref thinks they need it uh, I was meant to say there if the ref thinks they actually need the bunker to intervene like for example in a try scoring situation obviously you'd want the bunker to go in but don't go and look at it in fucking millisecond slow motion where it's fucking so slow and you have to look at every single frame look at it in real time because at the end of the day that's what that's how fast the game is being played it's being played in real time um, you know I sort of get it for captain's challenges and um, shoulder charges and stuff like that where, yes, you'll have to go back and look and look at the contact. But even there, like, we've had so many instances this year where um, players make it look like they're shoulder charging directly to the to the head. A clear example um, that happened this year, obviously the Felice Cafusi one, where, in fact, it's whiplash. Why had Graham on David Mawali earlier in the year as well? It's whiplash. He hit him in the chest and travels up due to momentum because... Obviously, the smaller man and Wade Graham is going to fly up when hitting a brick wall like David Mowali and hit him in the head. It's whiplash. It's what's, that's what happens. It's whiplash. It's not uh, Wade Graham going to hit him in the head because at the end of the day, Wade Graham's too small. He probably couldn't hit him in the, in the head if he tried with his shoulder. It's whiplash that's sending him up and then the force is actually um, you know, hitting David Mowali in the head, obviously, that whiplash of him traveling up and hitting him in the head, if that makes sense. So, yeah, look, I mean, as I said, technology, I think, it's awesome that it's being implemented into all of the different games, all the different sp- sports and codes and whatnot, but use it in the right way. Use it in a way that doesn't take credibility away from referees and, and you know, the, lets the game be played how it should uh, and looking at things in real time. Just specific things, the little things matter. Um, and I think that, you know, they really need to sit down and have a look about how the, the, brun- the bunker is actually being used. And give a bit of credibility back to the referees. Let referees make decisions. I think that's a big thing uh, going into the next few weeks as well. One.